welcome to We Used to Be the Smart Kids. I'm Eric. And I'm Carolyn. And today we're talking about science fiction conventions and yelling about nerds, more so than usual. This time specifically focused on the nerds. Wait, 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 wait. Yelling about nerds sounds like a wee bit judgy. Do we get to be judgy? Oh, God, yes. This is all about being judgy. I mean, that's like 80% of our friendship. Let's be honest. Way back in the day when we first met, I told you about the science fiction convention I attended, which puts me in the nerdy category called PhilCon. And it took you a couple years to attend, correct? Yeah. You kept putting it off. Well, no, those first couple of years were probably when I thought you were the coolest. <laughs> and, then, and then I went to PhilCon and I was like, oh. <laughs> I forget how I sold you this convention, but it's basically, for me, it's a lot of people watching interspersed with little bits of, wow, that's kind of interesting. I'm glad I was here for that. That's absolutely not how you sold me that convention. No, how did I sell it to you? I'm pretty sure you were just like, you should come to PhilCon. It's really cool. <laughs> it's the longest running science fiction and fantasy convention. It's where I met a lot of writing people and I used to go to a workshop with them. And I really like the writer's workshop. Yeah, okay. I lied through my teeth. I'm very sorry. You really did. Or <laughs> worse, you believed it. Maybe I was the person who took the scales off your eyes. That first moment when, we, when I walked into the lobby and you looked at me, you were like, oh, no. Oh, no. What have I been selling myself this whole time? <laughs> I was delusional. <laughs> I thought this was cool because I didn't know any better. But I did. I naturally know better. I am the arbiter of cool. So let's talk about that first moment. It's a three-day-long convention. You walk into a hotel lobby to check in, and your eyes just kind of went wide. What were you thinking? What was going through your head? Were you thinking about making a break for it? Oh, God, yeah. I thought, oh, shit, I have to be here for three days. I have to fake this for three days. Do they not see what's going on here? Yeah, I, I really thought maybe I could fake cancer. Like maybe they'll let me go home if I'm like, I just have a brain tumor and I really need to leave now. And this was just the lobby. This was just the lobby. What did you see? What really caught your eye? I think the thing that like really turns me off is that super uncomfortable earnestness mm -hmm. where you're like, I've just found my people. Uh -huh. That's one of the first things I remember hearing you talk about how mad you were at people when they said things like, I found my tribe. That's what everybody would say when I was in that MFA program. Yeah. Is this is my tribe. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> what? Like we all like writing and now we're suddenly a tribe. Yeah. I don't think you're helping me like forage for food. I don't think you form my family group. I don't feel like super accepted here. What is this? This is people finding a marginal bit of acceptance where they previously had none and just clinging to that like a drowning man to a log. So I had a friend, I did a very, very brief stint as a stand-in on the run fair circuit. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about this with my friend who did the run fair circuit and how I thought it was just completely weird because I let my judgment flag fly <laughs> all the time. And she said that she was pretty sure it was weird to me because I had never struggled with acceptance. And so I needed to just watch my privilege. Check your privilege. Thank you. That one. Watch it. Like Look. your luggage, but privilege. <laughs> Because you've never had a problem with acceptance. Of course not. I mean, I love myself so much. Right. I kind of, no, but you're being sarcastic and I'm kind of being serious right now. I really <laughs> never did have a problem with acceptance. I mean, now I will. People are going to listen to this and be like, God, she just thinks people like her. Well, in that case, Time I... Time to disabuse her of that notion. 
but yeah, I, I just never really struggled with self-worth or community in that way. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I kind of felt lonely sometimes, but I never felt like there's no place for me in this world. The world <laughs> is a giant place. Like, what do you mean there's no place for you? Phil Kahn is self-described as a literary science fiction convention. It's one of the longest running science fiction conventions in the world, if not the longest. It's focused a lot on writing and reading. This is from the first two science fiction meetup groups, the Philadelphia and New York Science Fiction Clubs, getting together and holding the first science fiction convention where they just nerded out with nerds from a different city and then went out for lunch. I feel like the origins of Phil Kahn are really cool. Yeah. And you can see some of that in the convention as it exists now there's a lot of old heads yes. who unfortunately do not like um, the youths. One of the fun things that I really liked about this con is, frankly, it made me more judgy because <laughs> it demonstrated that you absolutely could tell the have talents from the have no talents. Mm-hmm. I became a talent classist. Yes. You can just see who knows what they're talking about. And that's kind of a cool divide for me. Let's dive into that. Let's dive into your first panel that you attended. I'm sure you don't remember the specifics of it. I do. Do you? Yeah, I do. The very first panel I attended was various science fiction and fantasy workshops. So actually, this was a really good panel. All right. So the panelists on this sounded like they know what they were talking about. You were interested. You were, if not engaged, at least. Okay, I'll give this a little bit of a chance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was and talking about the preeminent workshops that they had done too. These two are definitely on the side of the have talents, but they're not on the scale of people who've actually gone out and gotten published novels and they didn't strike the Zekeist and get a bunch of fans. But these are great people. I loved hanging out with them. Just to jump ahead a little bit, these are people we've actually hung out with outside of the cons now. You you are showing your receipts right now, aren't you? You're name dropping. Yes, I am. What? Yeah. Why? What happened to judgy bitches being bitches? You've gotten lured in by I your have. own mythos of Philcon. You're right. You're right. I'm ashamed. Back it off, man. No one okay, cares if you've fine. hung out with I don't even think cares. No, he uh, well, actually, absolutely does not. really does like you, but <laughs> this doesn't matter. It's a moot point. I didn't You're realize I was going to so get... mad about me name dropping nerd shit. Yeah, remember. Remember Carolyn remember in the lobby. Remember what we're here for. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I'm just saying they're nice people. How's that? Is that faint enough praise for you? literally going to give this to you just so we can move on. You're right. I I just go back to that time and it's like, you know what? It's kind of fun to go. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous, but it's fun. I'm dropping back into that headspace. It is fun to go. I went three times. Yeah. Spoilers. I got into it. (laughs) I still judge the fuck out of it. But I did get into it and I would go again. Potentially. COVID really put a damper on so many things that I find fun. All right. So let's talk about panels after that real fast where it's not quite so interesting. What made you really question yourself after that? (laughs) Oh, I've been questioning myself since the lobby. That panel gave me a faint glimmer of hope. Like maybe I judged too harshly. And then we went to Meet the Pros. So Meet the Pros is when you get one or two drink tickets and there are not enough drink tickets in the world to make this worth your while. <laughs> and you go to ostensibly the ballroom or something. Where they it's have not even this. the ballroom. It's the hallway outside of the ballroom. And then you get two drinks. And allegedly, you can talk to pros, sci-fi, and fantasy writers and like pick their brains. Magazine editors, that sort of thing. Look, PhilCon really wants to be a convention that matters. Yes. And they've got enough buy-in from three to four big names that they've been running on these fumes for ages. <laughs> PhilCon does not matter. No, I don't not think the any, slightest. any connections are coming out of PhilCon. And maybe I'm just bitter. Feel free to call me on my raging bitchiness. 
But yeah, these three or four pros are hanging around the table with a bunch of mid-list or low-list authors, and they just have to turtle up because they are swarmed like fucking sharks at a feeding frenzy. Yeah, here's the thing. If you're like those pros, you are the attraction for everybody else. All of them want to talk to you because they think that they can like give you something. They think they can schmooze into your magazine. Imagine a room full of people who want to schmooze off of you to get the thing that you have. It's not just schmooze. Schmooze poorly. I cannot stress how uncomfortable it is to have that many people just like looking at you. Spoilers, I know, because we did a panel and it happened to us and it, it feels like walking into a sea of gack. You're just like, <laughs> get me out. Oh, throwback Nickelodeon gack. <laughs> so we're in this morass of people. And I think this is where the real fun part kicks in. This is where you realize that you're one of the handful of people with social awareness in this situation, and you can just watch the flow of people around you. That is true. The gin helped. The gin did help, yes. It's where, for me, it clicked from, oh, I'm participating in this convention, to, oh, I'm voyeuristically observing this convention. Yes. Like, the fun is standing in the corner, people watching. It was good. All right, do we want to talk about the overall... Let's not say hygiene, but presentation of people. I don't, but this is your favorite thing. This is one of the things you told me before I went, and I thought, why is that fun for you? I still, honestly, I I still don't know. You've got your regular crusty nerds, correct? (laughs) I don't think I'm going to give you any of this, but go ahead. Fine. You've got your crusty nerds who are wearing the same clothes they've worn for 20 years, and it shows. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the anime nerds. A different breed. A different breed. I will give you that there are different breeds of nerds. Different breeds of nerds. And there is one anime track in the con, and they take up residence in one conference room. And over the course of the weekend, the funk just builds. Yeah, for context, they just play anime in there the whole time. Sometimes they have panels where they they also play anime and discuss it. A certain segment of the population just lives in that room, and you can smell it as you walk past. Okay, so I will give you that I was told this, and I thought that it had to be hyperbole, Mm -hmm. and it's not. (laughs) It's, like, really not hyperbole. The first day, you don't know which room they're doing the anime panels in, but by the last day, you really smell it. Like, you never have to look at a schedule or, like, the posting next to the door. You can truly walk by, and the BO is clearly coming from this one room. And I guess people just never leave it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this happens. It's it's quite, um, you learn to hold your breath when you walk past that room because that's your only defense. So we're talking about looking down on the general nerd populace as we go to these things. And yes, because we're judging. Yes. Oh, sorry. No, because we are judgy bitches, correct. But then when there's this subclass, I'm just curious what their experience in this is. Like the anime nerds? The anime nerds, I'm pretty yes. sure they all band together and like judge us back. Oh yeah, look at those nerds. They don't know what this anime from 1998 is. How do they not know this? There are these hierarchies that we're talking about. The have talents, the have not talents, and then the anime nerds. Mm-hmm. And then us, we like to think we're on the outside looking in, but we know Obviously, we're not. we think we're the top. Yes. Like, come on. Yeah. Let's own it. Okay. So anyway, there are these hierarchies. I introduced this to you ages ago, but do you remember the nerd social fallacies? I remember... No. I No. <laughs> so it's this anthropological thing. It's not been seriously written up, but someone from the outside has looked in and said, oh, here's why nerds are fucking toxic sometimes. There's a whole list of them, but the one that really 
sells the whole process is that the biggest nerd social fallacy is you cannot exclude anyone. I do remember this. You said this to me fairly early on in our friendship and it like blew my mind because I definitely ruined friend groups because I thought you couldn't exclude anyone. Because that's what the jocks did to us in school. They excluded us. So we're going to be better than them and let the most asshole-ish, toxic, sexist, whatever in as long as they like dragons and lightsabers like we do. Yes, it applies to toxic people, but it also just applies to people you don't vibe with. Yeah. And like, it's okay to be like, I just don't get along with you. Like we're shitting on a lot of people in this podcast, but really at the end of the day, I just don't get along with them. I shouldn't shit on them like I am. That is me hunting for sport and it's not cool. There's a difference between that and between just being like, I know you, we're acquaintances, but like, I don't need to sit with you at the lunch table every day. But this is the whole found my tribe mentality that we're talking about. That because we like the same thing, obviously, we are all one big social group and we cannot exclude anyone. Forget social group as we're one big family. Yes. And it's so weird. Like you don't, I mean, maybe you do, but I'm not going to form deep, intimate bonds with you at a convention because we both like Terry Pratchett. Let's not even talk about the smelly kid that is socially awkward that you exclude, not exclude, but just don't invite along to your social functions. Let's talk about the really toxic people that just aren't someone you want to be around even in an acquaintance situation that are still there at PhilCon because you can't exclude anyone. So we're talking about I'm sitting waiting for a panel to start and my friend says I'm going to duck into this bathroom right here because it's a hotel suite instead of like a conference room Mm -hmm. and change my shirt. And then someone pipes up and says you can go ahead and leave the door open. We don't mind. Ew. Did that happen? That did happen. That's disgusting. No one says a word because these are all the old heads and they all believe don't exclude anyone including that perverted fuck over there. And that goes... All the way down. Like, that's the most egregious one I have experienced personally. But there's a reason that con policies have had to really start implementing harassment policies Mm -hmm. over the past couple of years. And it's because this is a lot of go-along-to-get-along feeling. Yeah, like, you want to have that big family thing and you're scared if you exclude someone, then people could turn around and exclude you. Yeah. I'm thinking, sorry, I'm thinking about Gamergate. Yes. And like people are going to turn on you. Yes. <laughs> Even if you don't deserve it, they're going to turn on you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and that just, I think, is the feeling of the whole con, which is why you have panels where I don't know why any of you fucks are up there, but we can't exclude you because you decided that you were going to be a panelist and you were going to present this information to us. I'm trying to remember how you became a Felcon panelist and we kind of just did. We asked to be up there and we got to be up there. The thing is, Philcon does not attract enough solid panelists, so they kind of have to accept anybody who's willing to put their hand up. And then hope that the people who put their hands up but shouldn't be up there shut up during the panels when the people who know what they're talking <laughs> are talking. That does not happen. That and does it not. Is infuriating. Let's do a quick rundown of some of the worst panelists. We've made categories of the worst panelists before this. We have a little tradition we like to call Philcon Bingo. I created spreadsheets and generated bingo boards based on these stereotypes that we saw. I do love Philcon Bingo. It greatly improved the experience. These panelist stereotypes were some of the most popular spaces because they were so easy to fill. Nerds making lists. So nerds making lists would be like, how is non-linear time travel used to reflect a character's growth in sci-fi and fantasy? 
Come to room 120B to find out. And you get to room 120B and there's no discussion of character growth. It's just like, I saw Memento once. <laughs> and then this other time, I uh, read Gateway. Woo! And you're like, uh, what are we discussing the topic? No, we're just like listing all the examples we can think of of this one idea for 45 minutes. My skin is crawling thinking about it. <laughs> this is the one scenario in these people's lives where this encyclopedic knowledge of random bullshit gives them social cred. I was actually on the nonlinear travel panel with Michael Swanwick. And now who's name dropping? Me. Michael Swanwick <laughs> was one of Eric's favorite authors. His encyclopedic knowledge of nonlinear time travel helped him write his books. And in that way, it was helpful to him. But people who are trying to be a successful writer, they're like studying and they're reading all these books and they're amassing all these ideas in their head. But there's no outlet for that if they don't become successful. Mm -hmm. But the easiest part of that to ape is the studying everything and regurgitating all the information that you have taken in. And you've completely missed the whole point of like taking information in, critiquing, analyzing, discarding, using, and like coming out the other end of that information tunnel with your own stuff. Yeah. You're just like... Hey, I got some stuff here. I got I got some watches I stole off another person. You want to buy them? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not paying with my time for your like trinkets. And you could see the frustration grow on the panelists who actually wanted to discuss that. Like Michael Swanwick in the end just gave up and started, fine, we're making lists. Here's a list. Leave me the fuck alone. Because like when the nerds decide to make their lists, the list making nerds will just steamroll any critique that crops up. Remember the schmoozing? Yes. This is their chance to make it big if they just have the longest list. <laughs> Next on the list was panelists who had no fucking clue what they were talking about and clearly just Wikipedia'd their topic five minutes before they sat down. Or Wikipedia'd it as they were sitting there. Like people who, yeah, they're up there on a panel and, and just don't care. And that bugged me. The part that really infuriated me about the people who Wikipedia their topic, they were like the shame-faced ones who tried really hard not to get caught out. <laughs> and then there are the people who talked so much because they wanted to prove that they definitely did the homework. So they just over-talk. Those people are the ones who pissed me off. Yeah, the bullshitters. I don't think we ever had a square for this, but this reminds me of moderators who thought that a panel was like a primary school where everyone needed to take their turn. So a question would be asked and then we would go, go down, down the, the line, line of the panelists. And if a conversation started, which is what you want out of these things, mm -hmm. right? They would cut off the conversation <laughs> to continue giving everyone their five moments to speak. And then they would ask the second question and go down the line. I think we did have a panel with like moderators who completely missed the point of the job. Yeah. And it included people who tried to make their moderation like part of the panel. Yeah. Which again, didn't work out. You should fade into the background as the yeah. moderator. It was like the best job. I came up with some <laughs> clever questions and you be smart now. And I'm going to let you guys just go at it if you're doing something interesting. Not, oh, I've got a list of questions I have to get through throughout this. The other problem with PhilCon is that the first person that signed up for the panel was a moderator. <laughs> Moderating is a difficult job. Yeah. Facilitating an interesting and informative and useful conversation for other people is hard. And it takes prep work. And the one thing nobody did at Philcon was prep work. Do not have anal sex at Philcon. There will be no lube. <laughs> <laughs> there are panels where it's just for funsies, like who would win pirates versus ninjas versus dragons or whatever. You know, the small talk panels for when you need a break. Like this is a conversation you could have in the bar over a beer. 
So you go to this because it's a guaranteed time where you can talk about this random bullshit. So it's guided social interaction. It was not for us. We're just putting down stereotypes right now. But I think we called that communal brainstorming. (laughs) We were funny in the past. We were. We're going to step away from the panels a bit before we hop back in because I'm going to get to writer's workshop eventually. But I really want to discuss the dance. Oh, yeah. A dance where no one danced. Yes. The end of the first night is always the PhilCon dance. I have gone to this con for almost 10 years running. I can count the number of people who danced at this two-hour-long dance every year on maybe two hands. But were any of them you, though? No, none of them were me. But they keep holding out hope because they want this to be the social mixer. They want to recapture their glory days of getting laid at cons. I mean, truly, no one dances. No. I no, considered we go, it, but no. We go every year and just scope out the empty dance floor, laugh a bit, and move on our way. It's so bizarre. It's just, it's Sisyphean. Sis- Sisyphean. Thank you. It's, yeah. s- yep. it's that word, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what's wrong with PhilCon in general. They just yeah. can't remake themselves. They can't yeah. change to address the trends or what people are interested in. They're just, everybody's going down with the ship. You can have a gin and tonic and laugh while it sinks. Or you can pretend that someday someone will dance. And like there are sci-fi cons out there where the dance is actually attended. Phil Con is not one of them. John Scalzi, do you know who he is? I do because of you. He's yeah. active on Twitter and he's wrote a ton of, I think, military sci-fi. He DJs science fiction conventions and he gets a good turnout and he has people actually dancing. And I think that's because he attends cons only with a rock solid harassment policy. I really thought you were going to be like, because he's a competent DJ. I mean, he might be a competent DJ. He sounds like he's got very generic white boy 80s taste and he plays that. It does not, as a woman, feel like a safe space to be. No. Which is a, obviously I don't like saying that because I don't like admitting that I ever feel unsafe. But like there is not a chance in hell I would dance at PhilCon because someone would grab my ass. Mm -hmm. They would walk into the room to say disparaging things and grab my ass. And everybody else would pretend it didn't happen because they were all too socially awkward to know what to do. Yeah. Avoid conflict at all costs. She is now the sacrificial woman. You may attack her because she's asking for it. She did a shimmy. She's clearly a harlot. She did the twist. (laughs) And that's a weird dichotomy because there's also the costume people who are showing more and more skin. Well, that's acceptable because they are on stage so they can't really see that they're being weird at. Yeah, that's true. The lights are just shining right at them. (laughs) They have no idea what's happening. All right, we're going to double back. I think actually they're in a crowd. That's why that that feels okay. We're going to double back to the costumes later because that's a really fun one. The big panel at PhilCon, for me at least, was the writer's workshop. Again, this is almost 15 years ago that I first attended PhilCon. I was a baby writer. Un bebe. A tiny baby writer. With hair and hope and ambition and promise in his typing fingers. I wouldn't say promise, but sure, we'll go with that. This was my first real encounter with, I'm going to say professional writers in the loosest sense of the word. I think you can say professional writers. They've been published in respectable magazines. They've gotten paid for their work, which is something I wanted to do. All right, so you not only get to read your piece, but everyone who submitted gets a copy of everyone else's piece. And you can just feel the desperation coming off some of these writers that someone tell me I'm good. Someone tell me this was worth my while. That is one of the weirdest things I think about art is like this just crazy desire for acknowledgement. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you're supposed to be learning to be better, but really all you want to hear is how good and amazing you are. 
you don't get that there. Well, you shouldn't. It's a workshop. Yeah, exactly. If, if you got that, it would be useless. The other thing that we found, because I went three years, I think. Mm -hmm. Panelist once and submission twice. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I was at one point on the other side of the aisle because I did at one point have some kind of career trajectory. We'll just pretend that never happened. What we saw through that experience is how incredibly subjective it was. Like there are objective things that you can learn in a writer's workshop, but at some point everything becomes subjective and either people get what you're doing and they get something out of the piece or they don't. And there's not much that you can do about that. But if you've been in charge of a workshop for long enough, you forget that there is that subjectivity going yeah. on and you just think that you're right about everything. Yes. And that was the part I think that was really mind blowing. The last time that we went, the people leading the workshop who had been doing it for years and years and years were truly cruel in a way that i found really disgusting and disparaging and that's our job god damn it we do yeah. it not to their faces i'm the bitch <laughs> if i have to be the nice person something is going wrong i'm not gonna lie there's some absolute shit submitted but you can't be mean you can't but you can't be mean but you can't be nice either there is a way to do that and they did not do that yeah, this is the one place where the nerd social fallacies fall apart because there's a clear hierarchy here that you cannot ignore between the haves and the have-nots. And the haves are going to take that shit and abuse the hell of it like they're a jock in the boys' locker room. But you don't have the right as a teacher to disparage a student. No. This person has put their faith in you that you will like respect at least their basic humanity and their desire to do this thing. And you have agreed to mentor them. You need to meet them where they're at. This could be the first thing that they've ever written in their entire lives. You don't know. My first year, that was actually the third thing I'd ever written in my entire life. But these are nerds trying to live their dreams. The hierarchy of nerddom, an author, is like top of the heap. And these are people who are just wanting to be that, wanting to have that dream for those two hours. When the panelists are good and not ripping into you, which has happened in previous years, that's one of the most beautiful things I've seen at Philcon. It's just people getting to live their dreams for two hours, and maybe they take encouragement out of it. Maybe they keep going. Maybe they find out they do have a talent at it, or maybe they find out that I'm just glad someone read it and that felt really good, so I'm going to keep going. I would have never described the writer's workshop as Philcon as beautiful. And I think if pressed, I wouldn't necessarily agree, but I feel like <laughs> that's a valid interpretation. Is that a fair, weaselly thing to say? That's fine. That's just the panel I most appreciated. There's a lot of negativity in this. And there's a lot of negativity directed at the writer's workshop when it goes poorly, but when it goes well, it's the thing I enjoy most of the entire con. That's fair. All right. So we have moved through the first day and a half of PhilCon so far. And now we're going to get into the ennui that sets in on Saturday afternoon. You are at about 24 hours at this con. You have panel after panel after panel. Come at me with your feeling that first Saturday afternoon. Oh, God. Is this still happening? <laughs> By the Saturday afternoon, I just feel like the knowledge to fatigue ratio never works out in my favor. 5% mm -hmm. knowledge to 95% fatigue is like not going to last me past 12 hours. Yeah. Like there are these great nuggets of information. There are these people you decide, okay, this person's cool. I'm going to go to more of their panels because mm -hmm. they know what they're talking about. And you've got the hang of it and... You're just sitting there thinking, is there any more to this? Is this just the rest of my weekend? I try and get these more little nuggets. And then the costume contest. The Philcon costume contest happens every year. There's an MC who announces people. There are skits sometimes. 
And it is just, I'm hunting for the word here. There is no self-awareness in these things. And it is beautiful and horrifying. And you cannot take your eyes off of it. That is perfectly stated. I don't know if I can improve on that. People come out so incredibly proud of the things that they have made. And I think that if you make something, you should be proud that you have made it. Should you show it off in front of a ballroom full of people that Saturday? I'm not sure the answer to that is always yes. You following? Sometimes you make a thing and you think, I'm proud that I made that. And I learned a lot, and I'm going to make a new thing now. And never admit that I made the first thing. <laughs> I might wear it around the con, but presenting it like this... Okay, here's the thing. We're at risk of dumping on people who really did do a creative thing and had the nerve to show it off in front of a bunch of people, mm-hmm. thereby opening themselves up to ridicule, right? Yes. I'm like, okay, we're making a podcast, but do either of us really have the guts to do something like that? Aside from artist workshops, no. So... I don't want to completely dump on what these people are doing. I don't think that that's right. No. However, I do feel like there is a delicious irony for the bitchy person in Mm -hmm. these moments. Like it is presented with all of the gusto of a formal costume competition with all of the skill and talent. However, nobody at PhilCon is particularly talented (laughs) Or if they're talented, they don't really have the skills. Or if they have the skills, they don't really have the creativity. You kind of get to see how people who are successful have to, I mean, the luck and the overlapping Venn diagrams necessary to create one moment of success is shocking. And like watching people shoot for the moon and miss and land (laughs) among the stars is like really funny. And I'm pushing back here, you know, but I feel like there is room to be amused yes at the failure but there is not room to shit on the person does that make sense yeah absolutely we can be very cruelly amused like we are definitely laughing at them rather than with them it's that whole alien idea of when you go to philcon and you see the sea of people who are both are and are not like you in this weirdly fascinating way there's just having that distilled onto this stage they're so earnestly hopeful the thing that they think they're doing is so completely different from what is happening you're just like oh honey i'm glad this is your space to think that you're being successful i'm sure this is a great great confidence booster for you you're gonna go back to your regular life and just have that tucked away that yeah i did that this weekend i got up on stage with my costume i accomplished something and that's gonna get you through another year of spreadsheets the thing is, I don't want to take that away from no, them. No, no, like, I'm I not. I feel like the way you're contextualizing, and I, I think you're right. I think you're right. But I feel like the way that you're contextualizing it is still kind of dumping on them. It's dumping yeah. on their everyday life, which is kind of a shitty thing to do. I don't want to take away the fact that they love this. And if they heard me laughing at them, I'd feel horrible. And mm-hmm. if someone did mock them to their face, I'd be really mad at the person mocking them. Is it acceptable to find it amusing, <laughs> though? I really struggle with this. I think someone somewhere must have answered this question. And I think this the is why we're is... getting social media for this. So we can get the talk back on. it. <laughs> right. I feel like the answer is yes. Nobody judges you for laughing at bad movies. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just the thing is they're right in front of you. Like we are. We're here. We're a part of this. We understand that we're not exactly like them, but we can see where they're coming from. We are exactly like them when it comes to writing. Yes. We are 100% like them and no one is pointing and laughing at me. And frankly, sometimes I needed to be humbled and I was not humbled. (laughs) I needed that. 
I might need it for this podcast. Let's be real. I don't know. Someone want to come out of the woodwork and humble me? That's going to be our first t-shirt. Yes. Humble me. No, that's reads like a weird kink thing. And... You're selling it. <laughs> You're making humble me, sir. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of the official festivities. But then we have not attended these, but there are room parties we're not going to talk about the room parties we're not going to talk about the room parties just so you're aware there is a yearly star trek toga party with bed sheets from the hotel moving on and i begged to go to this and you said no (laughs) this is the dance all over again you know exactly what would happen at this party humble me daddy (laughs) (laughs) all right so we wake up the next morning and it's sunday morning and the con is just hours away from being over and what are your feelings then I kind of get this now, and I feel pretty competent, and really, truly, I can start the countdown clock. <laughs> like, I feel good in my skin, and like, I, like I've like i gotten stuff out of it. I've made it through the gauntlet. Let's just glean the last little bit. Let, like, let's See, you're ring making it the... sound like you hated every minute of it with this. I did. Let's ring the last <laughs> bit of knowledge out of this dish rag, this social dish rag, so we can leave. <laughs> and it's the last day of panels, and hopefully you don't have a panel on that day, because everyone's tired everyone's hung over that was the day i've nearly gotten into fights with people when i'm on a panel because <laughs> i'm just like i'm not backing down i've been here long enough i will not be cowed i've seen you on other panels i know you're full of shit i see you with your phone under the table wikiing this topic <laughs> right now and that's pretty much it that's how the con ends not with a bang but with a whimper you've gone through you've gleaned some knowledge you've met some people Maybe you found some authors you wanted to follow. I enjoy myself. I don't know how you feel at the end of it. Yeah, it's the same kind of brainwashing that happens to theater kids when they do like a show or camp counselors at the end of the summer. Like you just feel so fatigued and content to be in the car riding home while the sun is setting and you've eaten some crappy fast food that the bad memories start to fade and you're like, yeah, I could do that again. And then next year you go back on Friday and you're like, oh my God, what I remember did now. I do? And then you bring more people. I did, yeah. Not just you. This is our entire friend group. We just kept grabbing more and more people. Like, what was our party up to at the last point before COVID hit and we just stopped going? It was eight of us at some point. And these were like the not nerdiest friends that you have either. No, 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 no. They just wanted to come check out some artist, and also they thought it would be fun. They knew exactly what they were getting into because I did not <laughs> lie. There were no scales on my eyes when I described this to them. And they had genuinely had a good time. It was a it was a fun weekend. It's not a family reunion. No, sure not going to form permanent social bonds. I mean, we kind of did. With who from PhilCon? I went to writing workshops outside of the con based on this from people who were in the industry previously and had somewhat of an idea of what was going on with it. And that was cool. And I threw that away. So that was nice. I'm so gosh darn confused because you keep vacillating between PhilCon is a joke. Let's laugh at it. And I actually got something out of it. That's exactly my feeling on it. (laughs) Okay, Well, that explains it. (laughs) Yeah. Like it has these little nuggets of making it worthwhile, but it is surrounded by everything else. So do you think that like at the end of the day, all conventions are like this? Or is this like a weird, unique PhilCon thing? I mean, we've gone to one other convention, you and I. I mean, I can't give you any more insight. I don't like the convention structure. I feel like the convention structure is inherently playing on the desperation of wannabes. That makes me uncomfortable. I feel like I'm participating in an unhealthy ecosystem. They're not exploiting people's dreams, but at least getting paid out of it. They're selling me my dream back to myself. Yes, Like they're designed for networking opportunities. And I have heard that sometimes that 
happens. But I think that that's so rare and that's that reality is not what's being sold. Or I am incredibly cynical and I just didn't make the right connections. You know, I don't know if it's me or if it's the system. What also bothers me is the people who are there who clearly don't have the talent. They don't even have that little chance, but they're there buying it anyway. Yeah. Because nobody's humbled them. We need to humble them, daddy. (laughs) I think the thing we're dancing around is that you're not supposed to point and laugh, right? Mm -hmm. And you're not supposed to admit that the whole thing feels icky unless you can package it in really great, smart, academic language. These people are being exploited. (laughs) Yeah. But like at the end of the day, I mean, if you are a person who gets a lot out of conventions or renaissance fairs or the MFA program and finding your tribe, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's great. But I don't like that we're selling this idea of community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think conventions are just they're not for me. And I'm going to tell everyone that if they're not for me, they're not for anyone. But you keep going back. Because you keep going back. And we're like a package deal at this point, which makes our spouses deeply uncomfortable. (laughs) Now that you have listened to our screed on this meaningless sci-fi and fantasy convention that you probably could have lived your whole life having never heard about. I mean, regional science fiction and fantasy conventions are probably all very similar from the other one we've gone to. Slightly more competently done, but still basically the same thing. A bunch of weirdos talking about sex and dragons. I'm Carolyn. I'm Eric. And this is We Used to Be the Smart Kids. And now you're smarter. Thanks for listening. Our intro music is from Tim Beak. You can find him at timbeak.com. And our outro music is by One Man Symphony. And you can find them at onemansymphony.com. 